0: Good morning everyone and happy holy Thursday to you. It is Thursday, the last day of of Lent. It is Thursday of Holy Week and we are preparing to enter the great three days, the three days of the sacred Paschal Triduum. The word Triduum just means three days. Try like a tricycle. That's that's three and duum, you got a d in there anyway. That's day. So triduum, kind of like with the Super Bowl, you know, if you talk about the big game, everybody knows what big game you're talking about, of course. And so when you talk about the three days in the church, everybody knows what three days you're talking about. That is, of course, the three days of the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have had a tradition uh, over the last years of, well, something that began, I suppose, uh, way back in seminary, of giving a little talk uh, about... Holy Week, and especially these three days of the Triduum, uh, because, well, they're, they're not easy. There's a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's complicated enough for us as Catholics. We do all kinds of crazy stuff. But um, especially during the Triduum, well, during Holy Week, we just throw it all out the window and do stuff we, we never do. In fact, a lot of things that happen during Holy Week, they, they only happen once a year. And they're pretty cool stuff. But even if you've been Catholic your whole life, you might be a little confused about what goes on during the Triduum. There are the most meaningful liturgies of the whole year, but there are also uh, some things that might be missed, some things that could be explained. And so that's uh, what I hope to do today, to do a little explanation about what is the deal with uh, Triduum. And uh, particularly today, we're going to look at Holy Thursday. Now, a couple things to bring to your attention. Last night on Sean the Baptist Live uh, Holy Week Walk was the title of that one. If you want to search for it, I did an overview of the entire week of Holy Week. So if you want the the big picture, kind of what is Holy Week all about, from Palm Sunday all the way through to Easter Sunday, check out last night's John the Baptist live Holy Week Walk from March thirty first, um, and that'll give you kind of the the overview of the the whole thing. As I promised last night, today I'm I'm gonna look more specifically at just Holy Thursday, because that's what we've got today. It is, in fact, Holy Thursday. It is uh, the day that the Triduum will start, and uh, there are a lot of things that go on today. Today, uh, of all the days of the Triduum, I suppose, is the simplest one, because it's it's basically the celebration of Mass, and uh, so most of us kind of know how Mass goes, but there, there are a few unique things, uh, even to this day. And so I wanna make sure that I I kinda hit those today. And uh, if you do have questions, feel free to bring those in. I see Mark and Susan on there. Good morning to both of you. Uh, Spread this around. Uh, Of course, this is live, uh, so I can take your questions. And then the the video will be up uh, even for, uh, well, forever. You can can watch the video on Facebook, and I will also uh, put the video up on uh, YouTube so you can you can catch it there as well. So thanks to those who have joined in live. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bit of the talking, and if I if I see that that someone does in fact have a question, I'll be happy to uh, take uh, the questions as well. So feel free to to jump in there. All right, it is Holy Thursday, and it is specifically it is Holy Thursday morning. Now, when people always ask, when does Lent end? When does the Triduum begin? Uh, well, here's the deal. Lent began, of course, as Wednesday, and it ends this afternoon, this evening. So when the Triduum begins, Lent ends. And so the the Triduum actually will begin this evening with the evening mass of the Lord's Supper. And, you know, it's one of those things where uh, people might have showed up this morning because, well, we always do morning Mass, right? I mean, people have a a tradition, a a habit of of going to morning Mass, but if you came to the church this morning looking for morning Mass, well, you you wouldn't have found it. Now, you would have found a a nice empty church, probably, which you could pray in, and I always recommend that, but you would not have found uh, the normal morning Mass. That's because, uh, as we'll see with all the Triduum liturgies, well, there's only one of them. At least there's Supposed to be only one of them. It's a little different sometimes today with all the the various uh, multiple combinations of parishes that we got. But for the ideal, there's there's only supposed to be one, just one of each of the Triduum liturgies. And so the only liturgy for Holy Thursday is the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper. So I, if you're looking for morning Mass, you're not going to find it uh, because the only one we've got today is in fact the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper. Okay, uh, there is one exception to that, and I've, I've already talked about it, so I'm not going to cover it uh, a whole lot here, and that is the Chrism Mass. Uh, if you turn to the, the Missal today for, for Holy Thursday, uh, you are going to find that the first entry for Holy Thursday is not the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper, but is actually the chrism mass and i'll not talk a lot about that today because well i already talked about it but essentially uh, if you want to see the essentials on the oils check out tuesday's morning message on the essential oils uh because it is on the chrism mass that we bless each of the the three oils the archbishop has to do it um and we bless the oils for the upcoming year and we do that once a year uh ideally on holy thursday um but it can be transferred. And here in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas, well, we transfer it to Tuesday of Holy Week. So we've already done it. Uh, We blessed the oils. The priests have renewed their priestly promises. uh, And that you could see uh, done today from Rome by the Holy Father. He will be doing that today. In fact, he's already done it. Uh, So you can certainly check that out. Uh, But I'm not gonna talk any more about the Chrism Mass, uh, because uh, I've already talked about the Chrism Mass, and you guys can go listen to that. So, with that having been said, the only other Mass on Holy Thursday is the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper, and so that's what we are going to focus on today. Now, the fact that it's in the evening, uh, right away I, I should say that, yes, it's it's in the evening now, because, well, we want to we want to do it at the time that Jesus did it. Here's an important kind of sacramental principle the uh the stuff that we do it, it is meant to appeal to our our human senses today so we you know we associate anniversaries with oh we're going to go to the place where we were at on our anniversary or we remember birthdays or we we do have this humanness to want to recall in our mind what happened on this day in the past that's a, a very normal human thing to do, and and God made us that way. So certainly there's there's no problem with that. But here's the deal with the liturgy: there, it's just that there is there's more to it than that. It's not just simply remembering in in your head. Uh, it, it's well, it, it's actually a past event being made present right now, and that's that's kind of hard for us to get our minds around because well we we live in time. So we experience things one event to an next. And if an event happened in the past, then the next moment comes and all of a sudden well that event's not there anymore now is it? Well, it doesn't work that way with God though because God is outside of time. God does not exist in time. And so an event that took place in time say 2000 years ago Uh, that doesn't limit God on what he can do with it. Uh, So uh, God works outside of time. And so today he brings forward, as it were, in time for us, the events of 2000 years ago and makes them present, but not just present so that we could you know, think about it and and remember. Oh wow, this is this is really real because you know it, it's not like even you're like a fly on the wall sort of thing. Like oh, I'm back two thousand years ago, and and now I can I can watch what happened. It's even more than that in the liturgy and especially the liturgies of, of Holy Week that we're going to celebrate here. Uh, it's as though well you are actually there, like it's it's happening for you right now. And of course, we know that with the Mass, don't we? Uh, When we go to Mass, we know that, well, the Eucharist is really Jesus. So it's not a symbol. It's it's not that we are remembering 2,000 years ago what happened. No, it's real. So this is the real Jesus. Every Mass, the entire Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity, is made present for us in the Eucharist. So it is... It is not just. Let's think in our mind what it would have been like. Hardly. It it actually happens, and and so that that is a, a principle in liturgy uh, that we find even in a lot of theological writings. I'm going to use a Greek word here, anamnesis. Whoa. Okay. Mind blown. I know it's a little liturgy nerd stuff. Anamnesis means to remember. But it's remembering in, in such a way that a, a past event is actually made present. And so we know that, you know, we celebrate Holy Thursday, and the, the reading from the, the first reading is, is going to be about the, the Passover. So we are much like our Jewish brothers and sisters, because this idea of anamnesis kind of remembering, making a past event present now, the Jews had an understanding of this too. So whenever they celebrate the Passover, it's the job often of the the youngest child to to ask the father, father, why is this night different from every other night? And of of course the the answer is is from the father, because on this night, God led us out of slavery in Egypt to to freedom. Notice it's this night. Well, that's that's true for us. It's not 2000 years ago jesus took bread and said the blessing and no it is this night right now we live it okay so that's a very important thing to to keep in mind uh as we go through this you are not there as a spectator okay you are not there just watching and remembering in your mind no matter how good you might be at, at watching you are participating not just in the liturgy that will take place but participating in an event that is outside of time so you want to know gosh what would have been like to to be there on the first holy thursday well okay you can think in your mind about the the historic parts of it sure but what graces would have been available what would the apostles have received on that first night would they stay with jesus will you stay with jesus will you betray Jesus? What will it be like to receive the Eucharist? Well, time's got nothing on us there. That event is made present, and that's what we're going to do. So keep that in mind, not just for Holy Thursday, but really for, for all of the, the liturgies of of the Triduum. It's it's not just a remembering. Okay, it is, it is a, a nice thing that we can think about Oh wow! You know this is the same time that Jesus would have gone to the upper room, and that's nice. It, it it's good, but it's it's simply more than that. Okay. With that having been said, let's look specifically now at the the liturgy of Holy Thursday night. <clears throat> now, when you get to the church, a couple things that that you will notice. Uh, first of all, the the purple is gone. It's it's white. Uh, for the, the vestments now, if your church has veiled uh, crosses and statues, there's still going to be a lot of purple around uh, because the the crosses and statues remain veiled uh, even though uh, Lent uh, officially ends. Uh, the the crosses and statues remain veiled until the Easter Vigil, or that the crosses get unveiled as we'll see on Good Friday. So you'll notice that the altar, though, is probably going to be decorated in white. It could be some flowers back. Because during Lent, there weren't allowed to be flowers around the altar. Uh, and, of course, the, the altar was covered in purple with cloth. So you might notice that. But here is one of the important things that you really need to notice. The tabernacle will be empty. Okay? Normally, what do Catholics do when we come into church? Well, we know that we have the great blessing that in all of our Catholic churches, we, we have the Eucharist, reserved, body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, reserved in our tabernacles, Jesus is present, really present in the Eucharist. Well, that won't be true tonight, at least not in the same way. Jesus will not be present in the Eucharist when you enter church. Okay, the tabernacle will be empty. Most Catholics, we just kind of know when we come into the church, we genuflect, right? Well, we genuflect because Jesus is in the tabernacle. If Jesus is not in the tabernacle don't genuflect. Because what it will say to everyone is, you don't really know what you're genuflecting to, do you? You know, I recommend that you find that person who genuflects when they enter the church anyway, and just kind of sneer at them as if you're not a real Catholic, are you? No, okay, I don't recommend that at all, uh, because Catholics are very habitual. So, 75% of all the people who come into the church tonight will genuflect anyway, because no one really thinks much what they're genuflecting to, do we? We just genuflect because, oh, I'm getting in my pew, I genuflect. I see people, they get out of their pew, they genuflect. I mean, I why? But then, ironically, I, I'll hear confessions in the church right now, we can't use the confessionals, and I'm over by the tabernacle. People will actually pass by the tabernacle and not genuflect. So, I think sometimes we really don't know what it is that we're doing. So, it might be just a, a good opportunity to call to mind that when we genuflect, we are genuflecting to the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist reserved in the tabernacle. That will not be the case tonight. The instructions for Mass indicate that the tabernacle is empty. Okay, now why is that? Well, it is ideal at every Mass that you be able to receive the consecrated species, the bread and, and normally the, the wine, that is not bread and wine anymore, but their appearance as bread and wine, that you be able to receive from the elements consecrated at the mass you attend. Now, of course, we know that Jesus reserved in the tabernacle is really Jesus. Uh, Unlike our Protestant brothers and sisters who believe the Eucharist is just a symbol, well, when they're done with their service, even if they really believe that like somehow during the service, Jesus is mysteriously somehow also present with bread, the bread goes back in the refrigerator at the end of of Mass. We don't do that. We know that the bread and the wine really become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, so we reserve it in the tabernacle. So it's fine to receive a host from the tabernacle that really is Jesus just as much as Jesus on the altar. But here's the thing with liturgy. We're really big on signs. You know, how well do the signs, the things that are done, help us in our mind experience the invisible grace that's going on we know that the eucharist really is the body blood soul and divinity of jesus of course we know that but the way we act the way we treat it is a better sign it helps us see okay what do we really believe if we really believe the eucharist is what we say it is then shouldn't we be like falling on our face before god shouldn't we genuflect and bow down like to a king or a queen we've got something much bigger than that we've got the king of kings here so signs matter and it is a better sign if you can see bread and wine brought forward in the offertory procession if it weren't COVID, taken by the priest put on the altar and and then the priest prays the prayers of consecration and that actual bread that was brought forward becomes the body of christ and then you receive that actual gift that is that is ideal well on Holy Thursday night, everyone gets to experience that without a doubt, because the tabernacle starts empty, so everyone will know that the Eucharist that you receive tonight is the same bread that was brought forward as ordinary bread, placed on the altar, and you get it back from the hands of the priest, not as bread anymore, but as God. Uh, so that is something so important tonight, that we we have the tabernacle empty, and the tabernacle will remain empty, until we celebrate the Eucharist again at the Easter Vigil. So if you come to the the church beginning tonight all the way through Saturday night, Tabernacle will be empty, so don't ging your flight. Okay, with that having been said, let's look at the the actual prayers that we start to pray. I want to call your attention to to something that uh, sometimes gets glossed over that even if you don't hear it in your church tonight, uh, I invite you to pray on these these words or at least uh, remember them. Because, they, well, they kind of set the tone for the whole thing, and that is the introit. Uh, the, sometimes when it's spoken, it's called the entrance antiphon at Mass. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, the, the church says if there is no singing, then the, the entrance antiphon and the communion antiphon uh, could be spoken. Um, here's the, the entrance antiphon for tonight, and it's from St. Paul to the Galatians. We should glory in the cross of our lord jesus christ in whom is our salvation life and resurrection through whom we are saved and delivered kind of a interesting choice you might think for the setting the tone for all of holy thursday wouldn't it be something you would think about the the eucharist or the priesthood or love or something rather it's the cross we should glory in the cross And there are some beautiful musical settings of this. Um, I like kind of a triumphant one because, uh, you know, we should glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that one. I don't know. It sounds kind of triumphant. If we're going to glory in the cross, I guess it kind of reminds me of Jurassic Park. Da-da-dum, bum-bum, we should glory. Anyway, it's a triumphant kind of entrance. And... As we enter into the the celebration of these days of the passion of our Lord, notice that the whole thing begins, the first words of the triduum are that we should glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's to tell us that yes, we're going to suffer we're going to celebrate the suffering, passion, death and resurrection of Jesus, and the whole thing is about glory. Okay? God is not defeated on Good Friday. And although we enter into the suffering of Jesus, We know how it ends, okay? So, as I said, we're not merely play-acting during these days of the Trotum. It's not merely a, let's put on a little show to help us, remember. Um, No, we know what happens. And so maybe we should remember from the very beginning of the Trotum, the first words are that we should glory in the cross. Yes, there's the cross. Yes, there is suffering and death, all that, without a doubt, but glory, because we we know where it goes. In fact, if it didn't end in resurrection, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. The whole reason that we're doing what we're doing is glory. We know where it ends. If if Jesus, in fact, were a, a liar or a lunatic who got killed on Good Friday and he was just a man and not God, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. So the fact that we are doing what we're doing means glory. Glory in the cross. So keep that in mind as we start uh, the whole thing is a great act of thanksgiving, as Eucharist always is, that we get to live through this. The reason we get to do it is because Jesus is with us. So yes, the tabernacle is empty, and on Good Friday we'll, you know, realize that, oh, Jesus was taken away, and we veiled all our statues and crosses and things to help us fast from even this. But Jesus isn't gone, okay? He's with us. He is definitely with us, so don't, don't forget that. Um... Uh, we are doing this because Jesus is with us in his glory right now. In Easter glory, Jesus is with us. And that's the grace of the Holy Spirit given to us in our baptism and confirmation, on first at Pentecost, all of that, that's what allows us to do what we're doing. Okay, so there is the entrance, hopefully, to that that beautiful, some kind of emphasis on glory in the cross. Uh, even if you don't do the, the intro, I hope that the song and in, in somehow expresses that because that's uh, that's a big deal. So now the the collect the the prayer that collects together everything um, comes tonight after the return of the Gloria. So you notice lately in Lent, you know, we, we go right from the uh, the Kyrie and the penitential act, whatever. the uh, The order for tonight is, is as actually we get the Gloria again. So it's not strictly forbidden like the the A word, Alleluia. Okay. I said it because it's not during the liturgy, but uh, the Gloria is not forbidden during Lent like the A word is, uh, because there's at least three times that we've we've sung it: uh, Saint Joseph, Solemnity of Saint Joseph, Solemnity of the Annunciation on the twenty fifth. Uh, if you're here at Saint Patrick Parish in Kansas City, the Solemnity of Saint Patrick, we sung it then. Fourth time, uh, yes, uh, Tuesday at the Chrism Mass, we we sung the Gloria at the Chrism Mass, so. The thing is, we haven't had the Gloria at a normal big Sunday Mass. It comes back tonight. And in fact, we're so excited that it comes back tonight that the instructions from Mass say that we actually ring the bells of the church. Like the, the little server bells that you hear, the bells from the tower of the church and your bell towers, carillon, steep, all that. Go crazy, ring bells. Why? Lent is over. Okay, well that's nice, and we're glorying. So notice it's it's a little bit of a mix of things. Lent is over, a more serious time of fasting and prayer is about to start. And there's this little kind of like transitional moment where Lent ends and the Trudom begins. And so we take just a, just a little bit to say, all right, the time of preparation is over. Lent is a big series of preparation for what we're doing now. So that part is over, Lent is over, and we're entering the Triduum, and so there's a little recognition of a break, I, I suppose, if if you will, if you want to call it a break, uh, but just an acknowledgement that okay, we're we're doing something different now. The the Triduum is starting, and so we sing the Gloria, and we we read uh, we should glory in the cross, and so yeah, a little bit of bell ringing because well, hey, we're Catholic. Who doesn't love a little bit of bell ringing, you know? Um, so after that, here's the the opening prayer uh, that comes. And, and by the way, the, the bells, the bells, after they ring in the Gloria, they don't ring again until the Easter Vigil. We'll do the same thing at the Easter Vigil. When we have the Gloria, we'll, we'll ring the bells again. But between between the Gloria at Holy Thursday and the, the Gloria at the Easter Vigil, the bells do not ring. Uh, in fact, we'll even turn off the tower bells here at the parish. And so it's... If you're used to hearing the the bells even at the church ring like every, you know, 15 minutes, you, you start, whoa, something something's missing. Okay, because after the Gloria, we really do enter into the the passion part of our remembering and suffering uh, because we know at the end of this Mass, Jesus is going to go out into the Garden of Gethsemane and we have the first sorrowful mystery of the Rosary, you know, the agony in the Garden. Um, in addition to that, I I said how, the, you know, there's instruments and flowers and things, uh, instructions from Mass also say that after the Gloria, uh, the, the instruments don't play. You know, this was really strict in the past. Like the, the organ does not play uh, until the Gloria at the Easter Vigil. Now there's a little relaxing of that instruction says that, okay, the the organ instruments can play only as necessary to support the singing. Because it, it's really great if you've got musicians and a choir uh, that, that can handle it a cappella, meaning with, without any accompaniment. That's ideal. And so my experience for a lot of my time as a priest, I've been someplace where that's doable, like the St. Lawrence Catholic Campus Center with a beautiful choir, uh, or especially when I was in Washington, I was at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, and of course, they have a professional choir, and so they can very much handle the acapella. It it really it really gets uh, a unique kind of transition across, when you can go from, you know, glory in the cross with music, and Gloria with music, and then... You know, it's just somber after that. The responsorial psalm is just chanted a cappella, and the, you know, all the the prayers of the the ordinary, the the Sanctus and the Agnus Dei are just a cappella, and it really hits you that something has changed. Now, it, it's allowed to use instruments um, if necessary to support the singing. So, if you know your organ is playing, I do not invite you in the middle of Holy Thursday liturgy to to jump up at the uh, responsorial psalm and say, "Shut that organ off." Okay, that's generally whenever you're at mass, getting up and yelling something is is a bad idea. But just so you know, it is allowed to have instruments. It's preferred not here at St. Patrick's. We, well, we don't have a choir right now because it, it's COVID. So we we're gonna use the organ a little bit to to help things along because otherwise, well, acapella done well, as I said, it's very moving and effective. Uh, acapella done. Bad, if no one can stay on pitch, it's really bad. Okay, so just a little note. I should say the the strictness of the bells not ringing as well. We'll talk about this tomorrow, but um, the whole city of New Orleans burned down on Good Friday because the bells don't ring. And uh, the the church bell was also the fire bell, so no one could call out the fire department because bells don't ring, instruments don't play. That begins tonight at the, the Gloria, so... A little bit more on that on Friday and Saturday as we go through But keep that in mind. The Gloria is the moment which the transition happens. Okay, the Collect tonight. O God, who have called us to participate in this most sacred supper, in which your only begotten Son, when about to hand himself over to death, entrusted to the Church a sacrifice new for all eternity, the banquet of his love, grant, we pray, that we may draw from so great a mystery, the fullness of charity and of life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever, amen. Wow, there is a lot packed into that prayer. Okay, you have called us to participate. Okay, whenever we go to mass, we are called to participate. And and this this is way bigger than, oh, I'm gonna do this stuff. You know, I'll stand when I'm supposed to, I'll sit when I'm supposed to, you know, I might might even make the responses. I'm going to super participate. No, not that kind of participating. Okay, this kind of participating, way different. The participatio in Latin that is asked for here, the Second Vatican Council uses the word actuoso, actual, to describe it, meaning that it is participation in spirit and truth, the words Jesus uses with the woman at the well. Worship in spirit and truth, meaning it's it's not exterior. Okay, the exterior is a part of it. Do the, do the motions, make the sign of the cross, make the responses, all that, yes, absolutely. But the participatio, the participation that is required here is all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, it's it's who you are. If, if this, remember this uh, past event is brought forward in time so you can actually participate in it, it's gotta be more than simply play acting on your part too. It's not play acting from you, okay? No one around will know, like, oh yeah, I'm doing this stuff. Is your heart in it? You know, that's what's meant by that word participation, okay? Oh God, who have called us to participate in this most sacred supper. And in the Missal, the uh, the the S is actually capitalized because it ain't no normal supper, okay? Sometimes people are like, oh, the Eucharist, you know, it's a meal. Okay, yes, Jesus did this for the first time in the course of the Passover liturgy, which is an evening meal. Okay, yes, the original context for the institution of the Eucharist and the priesthood, as we'll see, was a supper. But even then, it wasn't any ordinary supper. It's the Passover supper. So it's not just like, oh, what's on the menu tonight? Oh, I thought we're having lamb. That's cool. We had lamb about this time last year. No, it's a ritual supper. Okay, and so sometimes... People try to fight against the idea of uh, this being a, a ritual. Rit- ritual means, comes from the word to repeat. means it's the same. Okay, everything I'm talking to you about right now, it, it's in the book. I'm literally, I'm reading it from the book. You know, why do we do what we do on these days? It's in the book. The big red book, the, the Roman Missal, if you're a Latin Catholic. Yeah, that's, that's what we use. That's what we do. Father Sean didn't come up with this. You know, I think it'd be really cool to ring the bells during the Gloria. That would be neat. Oh, it says right here, the Gloria and Excelsis is said, while the hymn is being sung, bells are rung. And when it is finished, they remain silent until the Gloria and Excelsis of the Easter vigil. Not my idea, not my circus, not my monkeys. That's the Roman Missal, that's why we do it. So, we do not set up a table and let's all you know sit on the floor on cushions for mass tonight. Okay, it's not that kind of reenacting, it's not that kind of supper. This Most Sacred Supper, with a capital S to remind us it's way bigger than some simple little evening meal. It is a sacrificial banquet supper, a ritual action, okay? And that's true always, even on Holy Thursday night. Notice there is no direction to try to create an upper room, to try to make it like it was that first night. No, because we're not doing it for the first time. That was what Jesus did for the first time, but he never did it again. It was a once and done thing. From that moment on, from the very early days of the church, we see that one of the first things they did, even before it was legal, was they created special house churches. And not just like, oh, we're going to use the dining room. They actually started to create special chapels to celebrate the Eucharist in. Okay, so it's always been way more than just a supper. Okay, this most sacred supper in which your only begotten Son went about to hand himself over to death. Okay, the whole night of tonight, Holy Thursday, is kind of covered over with this specter, as it were, of death. We know that although it's very nice that we we gather tonight and this is the Last Supper, that the Last Supper we know is the Last Supper. <laughs> Okay? Maybe Jesus's apostles weren't quite into that. Sometimes I'm like these dunderheads, they just don't get it, do they? You know, like Jesus has told you, he's he's going to suffer and die and be crucified. Don't you get it? No, it seems like they don't. He says, "I will rise from the dead on the third day." So do they all kind of like, "Oh, hey, it's Good Friday." All right, he said this would happen. So let's get ready for Easter because it's coming. No, they they don't seem to get it. We get it. We know that this celebration of the Eucharist um, is the last supper. It is on the night before he dies. We know it, it's definitely going to happen the next day on Good Friday, so we can say throughout this mass, when about to hand himself over to death, death hangs over this whole liturgy, okay? There's a little bit of joy up until the time of the Gloria and then it's death, death, okay? everything that happens is in light of this being the last time. You know how kind of it is when, um, you know, like you're going to sell a house or something and you're like, oh, this is the last time that we're going to do this or or whatever it is where, you know, like this is the last, it it takes on a, a certain somberness or a a specialness at least to say, oh, this is the last time we're ever going to do this. We'll never be here again. We'll never do this again. The the last um, takes on a certain somberness, significance, a, a weightiness, I guess you'd call it. Well, that's what the church gives us for this whole liturgy of Holy Thursday. There is a somberness, a weightiness, because it is the last, okay? And so what does Jesus do when he's about to hand himself over to death? He entrusted to the church, capital C, not just a little building, whatever, the the church, the ecclesia, the great assembly like Moses created in the wilderness with God's chosen people. He entrusted to the church. So notice Jesus is about to hand himself over, entrust himself to his father. Before he does that, this entrustment is kind of like a last will and testament. You know, if people are about to die, we always want to know what are their last words? What do they do last? Well, what Jesus does last is he entrusts to the church, get this, a sacrifice new for all eternity. Okay, that that's a little paraphrase if you catch it from the Eucharistic prayer at, at the elevation, at the consecration of the chalice, the priest, you know, the new and eternal covenant. Only twice do we hear of a new covenant in Scripture. One is in jeremiah where god says i will make a new covenant behold the days are coming where i have established a new covenant well tonight is the other time in scripture where we we hear new covenant again jesus takes the chalice says this is the new covenant in my blood so here we see that he entrusts to the church a sacrifice okay it, oh, is, is the eucharist a meal or is it a sacrifice it's a sacrifice a sacrifice that was instituted in the course of a ritual meal the Passover. It is a sacrifice new for all eternity. Little flip of the words. New and eternal covenant, a sacrifice new for all eternity. The banquet of his love. Okay, we'll talk about love and how that will work in tonight as well. Grant, we pray, that we may draw from so great a mystery. Mystery. Don't miss this word. Mystery, mysterion in Greek, gets translated into Latin as sacramentum, sacrament. St. Paul does this when he speaks of marriage. You know, he's talking about the the sacrament of marriage in Ephesians five, the the stuff that everyone likes to glance over because it's like husbands, love your wives, but oh, wives, be submissive to your husbands. That one, Paul says, this is a great mystery, a great sacramentum in Latin. Don't miss that in the opening prayer tonight. We may draw from so great a mystery, from so great a sacrament, that we may draw from this, the the word the word mystery, in in the Greek, uh, mysterion. It's it's mu, the 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 Greek letter mu, and then omicron, uh, which is written as a, a Y in in English, but it it looks like a u, so it's it's an m and a u mu, uh, from where you might recognize the word mute m u t e. It comes from the word to be silent. Okay, that's why uh, at the at the consecration, when the priest says the mystery of faith, mysterium fidei, the priest actually shuts up. He doesn't actually say the words. It says the people take it up because mystery means to be silent. It means we we can't even find words to really describe everything that that happens. So that we may draw from so great a mystery means we can't fully even describe it. The fullness of charity in life. All right. That's just the opening prayer. I took a little bit more time on that this year because I haven't really covered the opening prayer in details. You can, you can Google and find a lot of Holy Thursday talks. that I've done, But I haven't talked about the opening prayer a whole lot. So there's so much in that. If you were to just pray today on the introit and the, the collect, the opening prayer, you'd have some good meditation for Holy Thursday right there. All right. So the readings, as I said, the first reading... Well, that's that's about the Passover. So keep in mind, everything that God did in the Old Testament, the, the Passover, it foreshadowed its fulfillment in the New Covenant. Okay, the Old Covenant, not, not done away with, but fulfilled. It was a foreshadowing, a type. So all throughout history, God told his people, how do you want to remember deliverance, my presence with you? Well, once a year, you're gonna sacrifice a lamb, you're gonna eat unleavened bread, remembering the time that you had to flee in haste from Egypt, you are delivered. Okay, all that was pointing forward to tonight. The Old Covenant is fully revealed by the New. And the the Old Covenant is concealed, as it were, in the New Covenant. We talk about that in scriptural terms. The New concealed in the Old and, and the Old revealed in the New that happens. So we, we have that Old Testament reading. We read from St. Paul, from Corinthians, and we read Paul's words about the institution of the Eucharist. It's from St. Paul tonight that we get kind of the money quotes, as it were, with, you know, I handed unto you what I myself received, that on the night before he died, again, that context of death, Jesus took bread, and that's when he says the words, this is my body, this is my blood, all that. We get that in the, the second reading, because in the Gospel tonight, we get St. John's Gospel for Holy Thursday. And it is a story of the Last Supper, but John doesn't have the what we call the institution narrative. The, then Jesus took bread and said, this is my body. Then he took a chalice and said, this is my blood. John doesn't have that. Why? Because, well, he's, he's the fourth Gospel writer. The other three are written by this time, so he knows, to some extent, they've already done that. But John also has the entire sixth chapter of his gospel, which we call the bread of life discourse, where he talks in greater detail than all the other three evangelists about, this is where Jesus says, no, no, truly I say to you, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Okay, that's John chapter six. That's, that's the money quotes for John where he really hits the reality of the bread and wine becoming the body and blood of Jesus. But the other thing that happens in John's gospel that he tells us that the other three don't is that in the middle of the supper, Jesus got up, took off his outer garment, tied a towel around his waist, and washed the feet of his apostles. That's the gospel tonight. And that's that, that little bit of charity and love uh, that we hear. It's also from where this Holy Thursday gets its, its other name uh, that you might have heard it called Mondi thursday m-a-u-n-d-y that that comes from the latin word mandatum because in the gospel we hear i've given you a new commandment a mandatum is the commandment a mandatum novum jesus gives us this commandment to love okay and he demonstrates it for his new priests by the washing of the feet. So that is the gospel that we get. Okay? So with with, with all of that I I'm going to talk now about um the the three big things because we now we've gotten to to basically all of them and I'll unpack it a little bit more. One, tonight we, we celebrate three things. One, the institution of the Eucharist. Okay? We we've talked a lot about that. We'll we'll get to how that happens ritually. Two, we celebrate the institution of the priesthood. This great mysterion, this great sacramentum that we read about in the opening prayer, it's perpetuated by priests. Jesus says, do this, and that word do in Hebrew literally means offer sacrifice. So he institutes the priesthood, and then he gives us the new commandment to love, the new commandment of love. Those three things: institution of the Eucharist, institution of the priesthood, and the new commandment of love. Those three things are what we celebrate tonight. Now, uh, the the last of those, the uh, commandment to love, uh, we get in the gospel, and then there's the optional ritual washing of the feet. Now, again, this is not meant to be some kind of play acting. It's it's not a, it's not a neat thing to do for show. Um, the, the washing of the feet on Holy Thursday is something that has actually taken place in, in history at, at various times. But here's the thing, uh, it was almost never done in the course of the liturgy, the, the Eucharistic liturgy. Okay, that is really unheard of through the entire liturgical history of the church. Until 1955. Yeah, some of you uh, may be familiar from liturgical circles that the liturgies of Holy Week were adjusted beginning in 1951 and again through 1955, and these are known as the Holy Week reforms. So this is before Vatican II. Uh, before we made changes to the liturgy of Vatican II, uh, there was kind of a, a trial, if you will, of changing the liturgy, changing Holy Week, and it was in 1955 that they added the option to bring the washing of the feet into the holy thursday liturgy used to be done um outside the liturgy say like the the pope on holy thursday would like wash the feet of 12 poor people <clears throat> or he would wash the feet of 12 bishops to represent you know jesus washing the feet of his first bishops the the apostles um, all this was done outside the the liturgy as some kind of a, an extra liturgical uh event that took place on holy thursday outside the liturgy Nineteen fifty-five, it gets brought as an option into the liturgy. And I say option because it's always been an option with COVID last year and, and this year, it's uh it's a required option not to do it, uh, because we're not we're not touching people. Um, but even then, uh, it's just an option. And and I when I have been the the celebrant when I was pastor, I, I opted not to do it even outside of COVID times. Okay. Why? Well, because the whole point, at least when it was added even into the liturgy of the, the washing of the feet, was to read the gospel and, and hear, okay, this is, this is what happened. We hear Jesus taking the towel, washing feet. Okay, it, it was to give us kind of a, a visual life 3D painting, as it were, of the gospel to help us meditate on that said that the institution of the priesthood is one of the things we celebrate. Well, right after Jesus institutes the apostles as his first priests, he then shows them as the high priest. Jesus, the high priest, shows his new priest what it's going to be to be a priest in my new covenant priesthood. It's not going to be like the scribes and Pharisees, where they expect everyone to serve them, and they are going to lord it over people. It's like, no, okay, I've just made you priests. I've ordained you. Now, here's how you priest in, in my priesthood. The greatest must be the servant. So Jesus is the high priest. He then serves his new priests to show them this is how you do it, okay? That, that's why the Pope washing the, the feet of his bishops uh, is kind of you know a, a really good full sign of this. We've got 12 bishops, that, 12 apostles, okay? This is what it was meant to be. It was meant to be a kind of visual representation of what happened in the gospel. So not that we could think about, oh, isn't it nice that Father Sean is washing people's feet? That's so good. He's a servant. Isn't that neat? He's washing feet of the parishioners. That's not what it was supposed to be about. We were meant to see, isn't it great that Jesus serves us? Jesus showed his apostles how to serve. We were meant to see Jesus washing the feet of the 12 apostles. That's why... It was required that it be men, males. The number 12 was not fixed, but traditionally it was 12. Um, Pope Francis changed this a few years ago, allowing the feet of women to be washed as well. And then even said, well, you can have a representation of the community. So old people and young people and men and women. And so, okay, fine. That's, you know, that's uh, a new interpretation of what the washing of the feet is about. But just note that, that, that really changes what, what that whole thing was supposed to be about. Now, it's about Father is showing that he is a good pastor and a good servant, and the people that are chosen now, they don't have to be 12, they don't have to be men. Now, instead of representing the 12 apostles, the people who are chosen deliberately, by the words of Francis, are supposed to represent the community. Okay, well, that's a... That's a a nice thing to do, I suppose. It's just it's not the what was ever done in tradition. Uh, So now we've we've brought something into the liturgy that wasn't part of the liturgy, and now we've we've changed it. That even what it was outside the liturgy, it's not. I find it easier just not to do it. And here's why, because in the middle of the somberness of this liturgy, it becomes very much about oh who's getting their feet washed? Oh look at that! Isn't that nice? They chose this. Uh, they chose a, an old uh, person with a walker to get her foot washed. And, oh, look at that They got a little kid up there, and that cute—the little kid's getting her foot washed. It—it kind of becomes a show. Like, oh, isn't oh look, father can't even get back up. Isn't that nice? He got down there, and he's so humble, and but now he can't get back up. Oh, look at that—two altar servers and oh, a deacon. Oh no, they can't get him up. And it, I don't know. It just becomes a show, and it becomes not the solemn representation of what happened in the gospel. It becomes about who's getting their foot washed and why and why were they chosen and why is their foot more worthy than my foot and i find it easier even if it's done well i find it easier not to do it um let the gospel speak for itself and uh if you want to wash the feet of your family at home do that father wash the feet of your wife and kids at home that's great you know whatever um so it's optional so you won't see it this year because of covid but at any rate uh, that is an optional thing that could be done in the liturgy to emphasize this commandment of love and service. Um, after after that, uh, we 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 do have the um, the creed is not said. And there, there are the intercessions, and and then during the the liturgy of the Eucharist, it's one of the few times where the the hymn and not just a chant but a hymn for the offertory uh is is actually given in the missile and it's one that you might be familiar with uh, the latin title is ubi caritas in in english um where true charity and love prevail where charity and love prevail that one ubi caritas et amor Deus that is is actually the prescription for the offertory to remind us of What we heard in the opening prayer about the love of this night. Caritas. Uh, If you were here for a parish mission, we talked about uh, agape. This is is more than just happy feelings. True charity. Verum uh, in Latin. True charity. The charity here is a love that sent Jesus to the cross. Love stronger than death. That kind of love. True charity. By the love of Christ, we have been brought together. Let us find in him our gladness, our pleasure. May we love him and revere him, God the living, and in love respect each other with sincere hearts. So when we as one are gathered all together, let us strive to keep our minds free of division. May there be an end to malice, strife, and quarrels, and let Christ our God be dwelling here among us. May your face, thus be our vision, bright in glory, Christ our God, with all the blessed saints in heaven. Such delight is pure and faultless joy unbounded with end which endures through countless ages, world without end. Amen. Where true charity is dwelling, God is present there. Beautiful, isn't that amazing? Be thinking of that as we go to celebrate this sacred banquet, We should be in love of our Lord, true caritas, but also in love with each other. That's where the banquet supper part should come together. You you don't eat with people you hate. Jesus gathers intimately together his most trusted friends. He says that I call you my friends. And this, sometimes we think, Oh, love, love is romantic. Love is eros, love. This is agape and, and, and even deep filios brotherly love. This is a love that's even deeper than mere romanticism. This is a love that is faithful to death. That kind of love should be the love that we have in our hearts tonight for Jesus, who clearly had that love for us, but love for each other, our brothers and sisters as well. That's what's brought us all together tonight. Okay, so we, we have that. And then the, the institution of the Eucharist um it's it's a little bit different it's basically what you would recognize um but there are few changes in the the canon or the the Eucharistic prayer Eucharistic prayer one at least for tonight. Uh and that's because tonight one of the things that we do celebrate is the institution of the Eucharist. So I said that you know the past event is made present. You might notice every now and then there's a little change in the Eucharistic prayer for the feast day. Uh, the part of the Eucharistic prayer called the Communicantes or the in communion with part. Tonight, we have these words. Celebrating the most sacred day on which our Lord Jesus Christ was handed over for our sake. And in communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially Mary. So, notice that little change. Celebrating the most sacred day on which our Lord Jesus Christ was handed over for our sake. So, notice those two aspects. It's this day. Today okay? And hand it over for our sake. Again, we keep punching us in the nose like, yeah, this is great, but boom, this is the day Jesus was betrayed and handed over to death for us. Don't forget that. It's like, don't forget it. Suffering and death. Don't forget that. Okay? Uh, He says, therefore, Lord, we pray, graciously accept this oblation of our service, okay, all that, um, which we make to you as we observe the day on which our Lord Jesus Christ Handed on the mysteries of his body and blood for his disciples to celebrate. Order our days in your peace, command we deliver for eternal nation, etc. Okay, notice again, as we observe the day, so not thinking about it 2,000 years ago, it, the day, it's today, on which our Lord Jesus Christ handed over the mysteries, there's that word again, mystery in Latin, sacramentum, handed over the sacrament of his body and blood for his disciples to celebrate. Okay, even the word celebrate here. Here we have a reference to the institution of the priesthood, okay? Little flashback to the Chrism Mass. Why why the Chrism Mass on Holy Thursday? Why, Why not do it earlier? Because Holy Thursday is the birthday of the priesthood. And so, get all the priests together on Holy Thursday. And in addition to blessing the oils, I said the priests renew their promise of priestly service. We kind of re-up our promises to be good priests for another year. Because today is the birthday of the priesthood. This is the day on which our Lord Jesus Christ handed over the mysteries, the sacraments of his body and blood for his disciples to celebrate, especially his priest. Without the priest, we don't have the Eucharist. So tonight Jesus ordains the first priest. And so it is also the birthday of the priesthood. So wish your, you know, priest a happy birthday today. I'm going to get together with Brother Priest for lunch and and we are going to celebrate the the birthday of the priesthood. So that's that. There's a little shout out to that in the prayer there that he handed it over for his disciples, his first priest to celebrate. Okay. Then the the final little change that takes place. Normally we say uh, on, uh, you know, on the day before he was to suffer, he took bread. Little change tonight. And this is my favorite one. On the day before he was to suffer, for our salvation and the salvation of all, that is today. He took bread in his holy and venerable hands. And it continues. That is today. That really nails the whole anamnesis thing. Okay? Yes, we remember back to doom 2,000 years ago when he first did it. But it's not just that that is today today is the day it's present what the priest is about to do to take bread and wine in its holy and venerable hands in the person of jesus the priest does this he will say those words that jesus said for the first time 2000 years ago but it is not just the priest standing at the altar saying words let's remember what jesus said 2000 years ago at those at that moment notice that the, the priest has been speaking to god uh, in his own voice. God, we we do this. Remembering this, we do that. Therefore this. It's it's all priest speaking. Father Sean is speaking. When it comes to the institution of the Eucharist, the priest changes and he becomes the very person of Jesus. And so he says, this is my body. Not then Jesus took bread and said this was his body. No, he's the priest, he says, Father Sean, I will say, this is my body. I am in persona Christi Capitis, in the person of Christ the head at that moment, okay? That is today, the priest does it. So when you hear those words, it's Jesus, he, he is there. It's not It's not a show, it's not play acting, it's Jesus there uh, saying those words. Yeah, the rest of the Eucharist prayer goes on as normal, and the rest of the mass goes on as normal until the end. So we'll, we'll end today's Holy Thursday preview by looking at the way Holy Thursday ends. It does not end with a dismissal. Okay, normally, you know, we get to the end of Mass and we have a blessing and then, you know, the Mass is ended or go in peace, one of the prescribed formulas for the dismissal. There is no dismissal tonight at the end of Holy Thursday. Okay, why? Well, because it ends in a different way. But also, theologically, the Triduum liturgy should be seen as one liturgy. It begins tonight on Holy Thursday, but you won't get a dismissal until the end of the Easter Vigil. It's it's meant to be one big liturgy. So although tonight we'll 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 leave the church, the the suffering and passion of Jesus has started. And even though you go home, we're we're kind of meant to stay in it. The the liturgy goes on as it were outside the church even. So tonight, rather than a dismissal we end with a Eucharistic procession. Now we Catholics, we, we love our processions, but this one has a very somber tone to it and it, it's meant to represent an actual historical thing that happened. Jesus, at the end of the Last Supper, 2,000 years ago, says he got up and he went across the Kidron Valley and there he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, that's what we're going to represent by taking the Eucharist, Jesus, really Jesus, not a representation of Jesus, really Jesus in the actual Eucharist, and we are going to process from the sanctuary to some other place. And this other place will represent for us tonight the Garden of Gethsemane. Just as Jesus got up from Mass, the first Mass, and went to the Garden, and there entered his agony, so we will do. And it will be represented by the Eucharist traveling through the church, maybe outside the church to some other building, some other place, maybe just a another spot in the church, whatever it is, it's known as the altar of repose, because we will repose or rest uh, the Eucharist there overnight, just as Jesus was in the garden. Well, there, there's another tabernacle. The Eucharist will be placed in it, and there's not exposition. The tabernacle doors are, are closed, and there we hear Jesus' command that he gave in the garden. He says to us, stay here, watch, keep watch, and pray. What will we do with that invitation from Jesus? There's no dismissal. The, at the end of it, it just says the ministers depart in silence. All depart in silence. There's no talking. There's no you know celebration after. There's no, hey, let's catch up on what happened during the week. Just silence. And Jesus's words, could you not stay and watch one hour with me? That's that's how it ends. Silence in front of the tabernacle. Jesus is in agony in the garden as he knows what's about to happen. Before we gather again on Good Friday for the liturgy, Jesus will be betrayed by Judas. The cohort of the temple guards will come out to bind him, arrest him, drag him off to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. He'll be tried at night, spend the night in a dungeon of a pit all that happens to tonight and it's it's commemorated in the liturgy by simply departing in silence with jesus in the tabernacle at the altar of repose there is a kind of a small tea tradition tonight um while there's all these altars of repose in the various churches there's a i've had the tradition and other people of, of visiting various other churches where the eucharist is reserved it's, it's great visit your church i like to go around and visit other ones seven churches maybe uh so tonight i gotta plan out my route yet where i'll go but uh i'm gonna i'm gonna go visit churches to visit other altars of repose i think i gotta call and find out but i think i'm gonna go to the church of my baptism uh the the church of my confirmation church of my first communion. To, to visit the Eucharist in, in those various churches and, and some other churches around the area. I'll try to hit seven. Um, but uh, whatever you do tonight, when you leave the church, don't leave our Lord, okay? It's not like, oh, the liturgy's over, let's go party. Try to stay in it. In fact, we're encouraged um, that tomorrow uh, is a day of, of fast and abstinence by law, but maybe start that tonight. I mean, you're not bound to fast and abstinence on Good Friday until midnight, but the church certainly says to carry it over on holy saturday why not why not start tonight even after mass a little bit really try to enter into it with with jesus we began by saying we should glory in the cross of our lord jesus christ so tonight it begins the the sacred triduum begins we we celebrate that lent is ended But by the time the liturgy ends yes we've done as jesus did with his apostles we've received the eucharist we've celebrated that beautiful sacrament of the eucharist and tangentially therefore given thanks for the institution of the priesthood we've we've received jesus's commandment to love i give you a new commandment love one another as i have loved you well we we see tonight how jesus loves us and we'll certainly see it tomorrow jesus loved his own and he loved them to the end to the end Jesus asks you to do the same. Will you love him? Will you love your brothers and sisters enough to to come, to be at the liturgy? Well, you know, it's not a holy day of obligation. It's almost as if the church is saying, hey, these celebrations are too important. If you don't want to be here, don't be here because we're not even going to dignify it by making it a day of obligation. It's just too important. Everyone who wants to be here will be here. Um, And I look forward to seeing many of you in the church uh, tonight, or on live stream. Perhaps I'll run into you at one of the various altars of repose at the churches around the city. Uh, until then, um, we will be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. for a preview of Good Friday and all the things that happen there. Uh, this is one of the most special days. These are the most special days, uh, but Holy Thursday is such a beautiful night. I invite you to really enter into it in whatever way you can. Hopefully, I'll see you in the church tonight, and then I'll see you back here live at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning for your Good Friday preview. So let us glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is our life and our salvation. In him we are saved and made free. Tonight we are thankful for that freedom that allows us to celebrate the institution of the Eucharist, the institution of the priesthood, and the celebration of that new commandment of love that is stronger than death. Happy Holy Thursday. And God bless you.